0: With me to Hebrews and chapter 10. Hebrews and chapter 10. Get there. And what I would like to do together with you is read two separate areas for us that'll help appreciate this, this section. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to combine uh, two sections that we would have kept separately. So what I want to do is I want to read verses 19 all the way through verses 25, even, even though we're going to spend time with just two verses at the end. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Wonderful. The writer of Hebrews writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Verse 23, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more even as you see the day drawing near. Father, we come before you. And ask that you would be in this place in a special way. We yield ourselves to to your presence and to your power and your leadership. And we ask that your word would not just be some dead word, but a living word in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that your mind would be discovered, that your heart would be known. And Lord, that our lives would be aligned with both your will, your ways, and your word, we pray. We thank you for these things and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks back, we had the chance to uh, start a a series on why church matters. It's what what we called it. And I think it's important because as we're moving forward, we're a very young group. And this is probably going to be the first time that we're really appreciating and valuing just exactly what it means to belong to the church and be a part of the church in this sort of way. What I mean by this sort of way is maybe you have roots in the church, but you are a child in children's ministry, or you are a youth in youth ministry. But things are entirely different when it comes to being a full-fledged member of a church where the direction of the church largely, if not entirely, rests upon you and me. And so if that's the case, we're really revisiting church with a whole new perspective. That's why I thought with the new year and moving in a whole other direction, we're shifting gears, this is going to be very important for us to appreciate together as a body what it means to be the church. And what we talked about in the first weeks was how important it is that we know how we walk into the church. And the reason that I gave, if you were present with us at the time, was this. You can learn an awful lot about yourself and what you think about the church or what you view the church is simply by the way that you walk into church. It's true. You're going to discover early on that church and the way I walk into it is not the same way I walk into when I attend a Mavericks game, as wonderful as that is, or when I attend the Cowboys game against whatever team, or when I watch a US ma- US, UFC match, or when I go to the movie theaters, or whatever gathering where there's a large group of people who come together. Church is different. We saw in the scriptures that church is, yes, I know, we hear it, church ain't a building, it's people, and that's true. The word church means ecclesia. And that word unpacks two ideas that Ecclesia gets at. One is assembly and the other is gathering. Church means it's a gathering of people. We're assembly. We're we're people who've come together. We've been saved and that's important because for a lot of people, their experience with God and their relationship with God exactly ends right there. They have no concept of the church in their spiritual journey. And so everything began and ended with Jesus saving them. And what we learned was, as we went forward in the next number of weeks, was when God saved us, he saved us so that he might gather us together to be his people. That even though I may come to Jesus alone, I don't remain alone. That although it is true that you can't come to Christ for me, you can't commit your life to Jesus for me, I've got to do that. I've got to personally come into a saving relationship with Jesus all by myself. But even though I may be standing alone when I come to Christ in that way, I don't remain alone. Nobody in God's heaven where there is a a heavenly church up there is standing alone in the presence of God. If God were to almost, as it were, pull the curtain back and allow us in what we would see is not only God at the center, but we would see a throng of people along with the angels who are worshipped, gathered to worship this God. And so church in heaven is supposed to be mirrored by church on the earth. And so whatever may be going on up there in the midst of God's presence is supposed to be what's going on down here because Jesus and God himself is equally present. Jesus said in Matthew 18, wherever two or three are gathered, there's that word, in my name, huh, there I am in the midst of them. So God is present, as it were, in our midst, whether you feel it or not. He's here, he's with us. And so I've got to realize that it's not enough for me to love Jesus if I can't dig his church. One of the ways in which I can truly gauge and measure whether I love Jesus is by how much I love his church. Ouch. And if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch, because it's true. John says in 1 John 4, how can you claim to love your God whom you don't see and hate your brother whom you do see? And so we've got to understand church isn't just this little side thing. It's it's God's program. It's God's means by which he's reaching this world. This is how God works. His mission is through using the church for his purposes. This is why it's important for us that we can't walk into this church just any old way. We've got to all be unified about what it means to be a part of the church. One of the unique things about the new covenant and the church in the new covenant versus how people of God in the Old Testament gathered was what we saw last week, and we saw that in Hebrews 10, how Jesus, this Jesus, this great high priest who stands over the house of God, through his blood, allowed us to draw near to this God. You see, back in the days, the people of God had a sacrificial system, they had a priesthood, they had ceremonial laws, and they had all sorts of hoops that they had to go through in order to be able to draw near to God. You didn't just come to God any old way. There were prescribed means that were necessary, and it didn't happen all the time. It was one time out of the year where they were able to draw near into the presence of God. And it wasn't just them. It was one individual who represented them who was able to have that privilege of drawing near into the presence of God. All of that changed with the new covenant. All of that changed with Jesus coming and the Holy Spirit also being sent after he accomplished his purposes, where now it's not only God is with us, God is in us. No longer do I have to wait for one day out of the calendar year to have the privilege of being able to come into the presence of God. I get to be in this presence of God all day, every day. That no matter what time of the week, what time of the year it is, whether it's Sunday or Tuesday, I have the glorious privilege of being in God's presence. I don't need a man. I don't need a priest. I don't need a building. I don't need anyone to mediate me coming into the presence of God. That wall was torn down. Jesus, through his blood, has brought me near to God. And so his presence now is with us wherever we are. That's why we are that church. This is glorious. This is is amazing news to know that no matter where you are, at whatever time you're living, if you are in Christ, you have the privilege of being in God's presence. You have the privilege of drawing near to God's presence. You don't understand. People dreaded coming into the presence of God for fear of being slain. No man has seen God at any time and lived. Beasts would be killed if they touched the mountain over which God himself was present. That's how intimidating it was. And now here we are in this new era where we have this privilege of being able to come together. And so here, the writer writing to this group of people, the reason why he was stressing this, remember, we don't know exactly who the writer of Hebrews is. Some suggest it's the Apostle Paul because of the sentence structure and and some of the themes that are picked up. It seems to be consistent with everything else that Paul has written. Needless to say, it's beside the point because we know it's inspired scripture and that's all that matters. But we do know who the recipients are of this particular letter. These are Hebrews, Jews, now Christians. And so these are people who were steeped in Old Testament ways and laws and ceremonies and customs. They knew that. That was their thing. And here they were, they took a step forward in commitment to Christ, knowing what it was going to cost them with their kinsmen and their community. And it did. And now they're at that point where they're tempted to want to return back to their ways because of the heat that they're experiencing for the decision that they made to follow Jesus as Jews. They gave everything up for Him. And this writer is discouraging them from making that decision out of fear. And he's saying, look, Whatever you got in the Old Testament, what you got with Jesus is better. That's basically what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's better. Jesus is better. You name it, Jesus is better. And here we get to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, and he says, Let us consider now how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Apparently, the implication is that whatever number of group of people, some, as some are, were beginning to neglect assembling together. We don't know exactly what all the extent of that is, but because we know these people and what the persecution was. And the news that they've heard concerning Christ, the good news, the chances are they got, Paul, they got Paul's, <laughs> the writer of Hebrews' message, they just got it a little too good. So they're like, okay, so what you're telling me is the Holy Spirit is in me. All my sins are forgiven. I don't need to be bringing animals again and again. That his once and for all sacrifice is enough. I don't need to go to some building. I don't need to limit my relationship with God or God's presence or access to his presence to a time of the year or a day of the week or a location, okay? So, deuces. We're out. We're going to go be about our way. After all, it's just me and God, right? No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong is what he's saying. It's like... (laughs) Y'all heard me right, but that's not the conclusion you were supposed to draw. <laughs> let's not stop, neg- let's not neglect meeting together. Because he so preached God in them and God's presence with them that they're like, okay, so we don't need people. You're telling me God is enough. He's like, no, 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 no. You need God and his people. <laughs> and I know we're not Jews. And we don't got all the baggage that they did that they brought probably into their relationship with Jesus. But we all, in our day and age, have our own reasons when we find ourselves in seasons not appreciating or valuing the importance of the local church or gathering with God's people. They had theirs. We, in our generation, have ours. And so no matter what the differences may be, we get that. And what the writer here is saying is what I believe God is saying even more importantly for all of us, and that is how important it is that you and I understand that in order for us to go forward in our relationship with God, we don't just need God, we need his people, his means. You see, otherwise all I got is a half gospel. I don't have a full gospel. God didn't just reconcile me to himself He reconciled me to my brother and to my sister. And so if I'm going to really capture the gospel and put it on display, that's got to be demonstrated by not only my relationship with him vertically, but also by my relationship with his people horizontally. You see, this is God's source of being able to supply you and me with what we need to be able to live this Christian life. We don't get to just come up with it our own way. God's got... Not only an ends for you and for me, he's also got a means. You charge your phone every night before you hit the pillow. And like me, you probably don't just plug it and just walk away. No, you plug it and you got your eye on that battery to see if you see a light bulb. If you you see that lightning bolt, then you know I'm good. But if you don't see it, it's not enough that you did what you normally do. Just plug in. And what do you do next? You look over at the wall. Is this thing, did that thing come out? Because, why? You realize that even though the phone may be on at the moment, it's only a matter of time where it's gonna go black on you. It may look like you're fine because after all, you got a plug in your phone, but that means nothing unless the other end is connected. In the same way, there's a lot of people who who they who went so far as to, to plug the phone, but they didn't see the lightning bolt. They didn't pay any attention at, as to whether or not they're plugged into the source. You see, God's source for you and what you need to stay alive and to fulfill his purpose is not just him, it's his means, his people, his church. And there are a lot of people walking around, I trusted in Jesus, I raised my hand for Jesus, I accepted Jesus, or who claimed to be professors Uh, professing in Christ, but when you look at the other end, there's no source. There's no source. There's no way that we can live the life that God called us to without being in company with others. If you want to start a fire, if you want to see a blaze take place, something that warms everyone around and actually serves its purpose, the last thing you want to do is just have one ember. You're not getting anywhere with that. What do you do? You gather a bunch of them together, and to the degree that you do so, you got something to work with. In the same way, God wants you to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. God wants you to be about his purposes in your life, and he wants you to be alive to them, but there's no way that's going to be able to happen when I'm all on my own doing my thing, even if I'm trying to do it in the name of God. Because it's it's fine and good that I got God in my life and I haven't ditched him, but I also need his people. I need his people because much of the way that God works is through his people. It's through his people. God's not only a God of ends, he's also a God of means. And this writer sees that, but he's afraid that this group don't quite see that. I mean, after all, in our day and age, there's a lot that can just prevent us from being able to, if we're young and single and maybe we're students, I mean, there's always school, there's always that paper, there's always that exam, there's always that extra chapter I could be reading, there's always those extra hours I could put in of sleep so that I could study in that. I mean, there's always something. There's no end to it. And what it ends up doing is unless I read that and interpret it for what it is, it ends up impacting my community life once I get a little bit older, now I'm a little bit more independent. I don't have no parents dogging me. I'm on my own. And if I'm going to be anywhere, I'm there because I got myself there. There's no accountability. As you get older, those of you who are 24, 25 and and above, that could be a challenge too, because that's usually the time in your life where you're going to really see. That's That's the challenge for a lot of people to be in a lot of churches. If I'm 35, And if I don't understand God's heart behind his church and I'm not aligned with him, it's very easy for me to say, you know what? I'm done. It's easier when I'm 19 and I'm 17 or I'm 21 because there's still a lot of things around me that hold me accountable. But as I get older, that's what begins to determine whether I love all this stuff because God or whether there were all sorts of other things that are only now beginning to surface that explain why I was a part of the church at all. And this is that time to cling and to be a part of God's people than ever. What's supposed to be going on when God's people gather? I mean, what's what's the point? What's the purpose? He tells us here that we're called to stir up one another to two things, two things. Love and good works. You and I are called to ministry, and that ministry looks like number one, love, and number two, good works. Love. What does he mean by love? The word there is God's love. My responsibility and your responsibility is to stir, that is, provoke, um, stimulate one another to love God's love. God's love is two loves. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why this is so important is because in order for the church to be the church, love's got to be at the center. It's not enough for just to just be bodies and buildings. We've got to be a people who are marked by love because God is marked. Very few things that that say God is, 1 John 4 says, God is love. God is love. And if we're going to claim to belong to him and be his people, we've got to be a church that are marked by love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall men know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And so it has a witness to the world. One of the marks, one of the signs that I know that God has done a work in my heart is the fact that there's love now. I no longer see things and people and places as there existing for me and my good. I now see myself in this world as existing for God and others. That's love church no longer is a place where it's about my preferences, my wishes, my desires, what i want out of this thing, otherwise i'm gone. It's now about God and it's about others. I no longer start talking about what has the church done for me lately. I now begin talking about God. How can i be available to someone who's in need? So my life begins turning outward because Jesus's life when he was here on this earth turned outward. The Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I know some of you may be thinking like, "Man, I don't know, but what if I'm not feeling this thing?" You know? You know pastor, like, "What if I'm not I'm just not digging the church. I'm not filling the church for whatever reason." Well, that, that's, that's Christianity 101. You, you and I were never called to base and go forward with our Christian life solely based upon our feelings. What if I'm not feeling my spouse? I get that a lot when I'm trying to rescue marriages that are on their way to divorce. I'm not feeling her. I'm not feeling him. Well, the first thing we're going to need to get on the ground is this. If y'all are going to see another day, you can't be basing this marriage of yours on feelings. As wonderful as that honeymoon was, and however longer you kept it, even after you got back, at some point, anybody and everyone who's married knows what I'm talking about. You cannot ride off of those initial butterflies and feelings that you experience either during the dating season or even those weeks of honeymoon. Those boots are gonna hit the ground. That other foot will land. The dust will settle. And now you're gonna need something else to base the future and the longevity of this marriage than solely feelings. And the same way people have that attitude toward relationships, they also bring that toward the church. And in the same way, even you, if you had to counsel them, you wouldn't say, well, give up. Go find somebody else that makes you happy. You shouldn't give that counsel to somebody else here. You see, it doesn't matter what church it is. Sometimes we think, If I was just married, I just need to wait for this one person. There's no one person, if you're a guy, a girl, if you're a girl, a guy, there's no one person who's out there that's going to make loving easy. There's no one person out there that's just going to make it just go on cruise control for you. And so We're waiting so long for that person that's going to help make all of this better for me. That'll never work. In order for... A marriage to be anything at all, it requires the investment that you make into it and the determination on your part to be committed to this thing through and through. Imagine if Jesus had that attitude toward his church. He would have never made it to the cross. The Bible says, greater love hath no one than this, than that a man lay down his life for his own friends. They sure weren't acting like friends at the time. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. The rest forsook him. You call them friends? And the crowds were like, we're done. And yet, the Bible says God commended his love toward us in that, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet saints, Christ, no, oh, sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. You see? The motivation of his love did not stem from what he found in us. It stemmed from what existed in him. That's why the Bible says God is love inherently in himself. That's why he doesn't need to wait for you to pull it together to begin to love you. He loves you as you are, just as you are. That's why in your best weeks, he doesn't love you more. And in your worst weeks and representations of being a Christian, he doesn't love you any less. God is love. But we, we see one thing with the church. We're out, ready to shop for another one. We see one thing that dissatisfies. Oh, I'm tired. I can't handle this. I need to be on, moving on. And we do the same thing in our relationships. You won't find that in the heart of God. God has saw plenty to be able to bail, and yet he's the faithful one. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Notice the text says, not verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as some do. Aren't you thankful that God has never, in all of your mornings where you woke up to commune with him, and have personal devotions to him, with him. You never woke up only to go to that place, that secret place for you. Everybody has it. And here you are to be with the Lord in his word, in prayer. And you found out like, where, where is he at? God doesn't neglect to meet with his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. There's never a day, a time that you ever have to be concerned about or worry about where you're going to show up, but God's not going to show up. You ever have to meet those people? You've had them because you've had experience with them, where, again, you've, you've got to schedule the time, and you're like, man, look, but you're going to be there, though, because last time, I haven't forgotten last time, you had me waiting, and I had something else to go on to, and now you're like, man... And so here you are at that place, and you're trembling because you have experiences with them, that they're a little flaky. They don't write stuff down in their calendar. They don't schedule, and they got all sorts of stuff going on, and you're afraid that they're going to prioritize something else over your appointment with them. God's not like that. God's not like that. He doesn't neglect to meet with his people. There's never been a Sunday where we've gathered where he wasn't present. There's never been a time where you on your own personally sought him where he could not be found. God's faithful. If that captures your heart, one of the ways that that should show in your life is by your posture and your heart attitude toward the church. You see? Every way that we're supposed to be with each other is what we first find with God, right? The Bible talks a lot about forgiving your brother and your sister, even as God, Ephesians 5.1, has forgiven you in Christ. So I need to first see it, taste it, experience it from Abba, Father, in order to be that toward others. And maybe that's a place I need to camp out just for one 30 seconds. Perhaps, could it be, I want you to take this before the Lord, could it be that one of your struggles with the church and your attendance, could it be that one of the challenges that you have with your commitment level with the local church, or maybe even your hard attitude toward the church has to do with what you failed to see between you and God. And maybe the solution for you and for me is, if we're going to want to go forward from where we're at at all and see a change, is to begin there. Is to take some time and, and to think about, wow, God, I really need to meditate on that a bit I need to reflect on that. I don't know you in that way. I know you in other ways, but I don't know you in that way. That's foreign. That's a foreign concept to me that you're a God who, all our Sundays, you've been present. Every time I set out to sit down, you'll be there. You won't, yeah, exactly. And I think if you allow that to capture your heart, I'm telling you, God's going to do a work. In your life. I really am praying that he would sow these gospel seeds in your heart, that it wouldn't be an external. I, see, I don't want you to be coerced into something. I want the gospel to do a work in your heart that tr- so transforms you to where it has to show outwardly. It has to show outwardly. Notice, the church is responsible. I want to end this way. The church has a part to play in helping the Christian arrive at this place. He doesn't say, go off into a room all by yourself, take some time off work and go go to some retreat center and learn about not neglecting to meet together and stir your own self up to love and good works, encouraging yourself. No, rather he says, It's your brother's and your sister's responsibility to stir you up to love and good works. Church, this is why we need each other. Ministry, for it to be God's ministry, cannot be the ministry of the few. It's got to be the ministry of the pews. It's got to be the ministry of the masses. You don't hear pastor encourage all the more, every single one. You don't hear a certain leader stir everyone else up to love and good works. No, the body is supposed to be doing this. As the body is operating and functioning as it ought, which means the only way you and I are going to be this is if we're spending time with God. Because the more time I spend with Him, the more like Him I'm going to be when I'm around others. I'll see a kid, any kid, who spends a lot of time with their dad, and I know the dad, and I, but up till then, all I've had time or access to is father, and then here, the day comes, I run into the kids, I find out, dude, he's so much like you. He talks like you. He's even, he even has these little, little manners. I see that at work with you. That's so mini you, we say. God wants mini him in the church. He wants every single one of us because this is God's Father heart. When, when he comes to meet with you, remember, Jesus said, I and the Father will come and make our home with them, John 14, 21. When God comes and makes his home with you, what does he do? He stirs you up to love and good works. He encourages you. He reminds you of who you are in Christ. He lets you know even if you've got to hear it again. He challenges you. He disciplines you. He exhorts you. He'll rebuke you. He'll correct you. He'll love you so if that's God's heart toward you and that's what God would do if he himself came to you then what should I be doing when I'm spending my time with you talking about fantasy football only don't get me wrong I, I ain't knocking it talking about just all sorts of stuff no I need to be taking that time what other place can I do this than with God's church everybody else everywhere else is talking about everything else This is the one place, this is the one gathering, one group of people where we have a chance to actually talk about this stuff that's going to result in our eternal good. And so let's not take lightly what happens when we gather together. If this is what God is about, this must be what I'm about when I'm spending time with people because I'm supposed to mirror the Father heart of God. I hope you're encouraged because no matter where you are, there's hope and there's encouragement. In fact, believe it or not, this is what I've been doing. I've been doing Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 right now. With God's help, submitted to his Holy Spirit, with his word, I've been trying to stir you and me, us, to love and good works. That's all I'm doing, stirring us to love and good works. I'm trying to encourage you all the more because I recognize Jesus is coming soon. If it was the last days during the apostles, and they called it as that, how much more must it be the last days even now? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I don't want to get out of this place alone. I want to bring as many people kicking and screaming as I got to with me, because it's not enough that God has saved me. It's not enough that he's reached me. If that work has been accomplished at all, in my heart what it ought to do is not only produce a thankfulness in my heart toward him but a desire to want to join him now in what he started with me to go on to do in others and so my prayer is that you would allow right now I know the Holy Spirit is working but that you would allow him to work don't resist last thing don't resist Hebrews 3 Hebrews 3 and verse 12 I promise I'm wrapping this up. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers. Hebrews three twelve, Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving... This is a church he's writing to. A church. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to what? To fall away from the living God. But... Rather than that being your experience or your future, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Is it called today? Is today? Would it be safe to say today? Okay. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, when you're all by yourself, that hardness of heart can take place, but nobody's around to rescue you from that hardness of heart. You're all alone. With one... You can take a 1,000 to flight, David said. But with two, we can take 10,000 to flight. Two is better than one, Solomon said. In other words, our strength is in our numbers. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's what I'm praying for. Let's hold our original confidence firm to the end. Amen. Let's pray this through, that God would make a reality in our hearts. Father, we come before you right now just grateful. you You, you, You love us more than we deserve, God. God, I'm just asking right now, who knows, maybe somebody was on the brink of ruin with their lives, and I pray if this was a word that just needed to just pull them right back, I pray, Lord God, that you work in that person's heart. For others of us, Lord God, I'm just asking that you would give us your mind, your heart toward your church, Lord God. It's not enough for you to feel and think and see in all these ways, but us in a whole another way. If we belong to you, we've got to mirror you, God. And Lord, I'm praying, do this work deep within because that's exactly what it is. It's a heart work. And so no matter what may have contributed toward our apathy indifference, complacency toward the church. Rescue us in Jesus' name. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see as you see so that we might be more aligned with your purposes and with your ways as it pertains to your church. God, I thank you for this group. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person, each precious brother and sister. Thank you for the way in which your love has been shown. And God, I just pray that you bless this community as we go forward and let your word continue to work, I pray. And allow each and every person to see themselves as your hands and your feet in the lives of the other person. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Stir one another. Do some love and good works.